Uh, let's uh, turn to God's word together now. We're in First Peter uh, chapter 3, which uh, actually we're going to be starting. I, we left off in chapter 3 last summer. Um, we did the first half of First Peter last summer. We're going to be finishing First Peter. Um, but part of chapter 2 is important for getting into chapter 3. So we're going to start in chapter 2 at verse 21. This, is, this may be a dicey text for some of you, but um, let's just pray that, uh, that God will uh, teach us through it. So this is God's word, and it's for your good. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When... Uh, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by Submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word, and we especially thank you for parts of your word that are are, are surprising to us, that do not sit right with us. We know that in those parts, uh, there there is a chance for us to grow, a chance for us to learn about you. And a chance for us, for you to make us more like Jesus. So we ask for your spirit now. And um, I just give you thanks uh, for the wives that are here in this church. And I pray that you would uh, bless them in the calling that you have for their life. And uh, I pray that you would give them your spirit and enable them to be like Jesus. And so we ask you to be our teacher. Uh, for Lord, you know that my sins are many. And so we pray that uh, you would forgive my sins and that you would take your perfect and holy word and teach it to your people through an imperfect teacher by your spirit. And we ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we are uh, doing kind of a sub-series um, on marriage as we begin First uh, Peter. This passage, uh, this section that we're looking at is on marriage. And uh, last fall, if you were with us in September, we did it. We, we're talking, we were studying the book of Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, and it, we, I had a sermon there on marriage, and it was in Genesis chapter 2, is before the fall, you know, everyone's in the garden, everyone's naked, throwing the frisbee, having a fine time, there's no sin, no problems, it was kind of the ideal of marriage, this is, this is what it meant to, what marriage was meant to be, and uh, as, but as most of us know, uh, and that's actually, that's an important thing to say. It's an important thing to first talk about marriage and say, what did God intend for it? What's his hope for it, his dream for it? But anyone who's been married knows that uh, it's not all, um, 
you know, lemonade and, and, and frisbees in, uh, in, when, in marriage. Marriage is complex. It's difficult. And I, actually, I was just last week, I was talking to a gal who's not Christian, and she was just talking about observing the relationships of her friends. And she says, you know, even the ones where they say, oh, we're just best friends. We love hanging out. She says, those are the ones that are in the worst shape. They're about to crumble. And the thing is that marriage, uh, marriage does not solve our problems. It doubles our problems. You have two people with sin, and you stick them together, and they can't get away, and your, sins are du- your, your problems are doubled when you go into marriage. And so, um, as we look here at um, 1 Peter, 1 Peter is a book about suffering, right? You just heard talking about Jesus suffering. That's what the book is about, is about Christians. You're, when you enter the Christian life, you're entering into a life um, about suffer- where there's suffering, where you're facing trials. And for most of us, you know, when we think about how, what does it mean when a Christian suffers, we think about, you know, I'm in a country where I'm not allowed to worship. I'm down in a cellar with one Bible and a match, and we're trying. You know, the persecuted Christians are suffering. You know, the early Christians are getting thrown to the lions and things like that. But as it turns out, um, for Peter, here in the middle of a book on suffering, where Peter sees for the average Christian one of the biggest places where they're going to have to face trials, difficulties, hardship, is when you got stuck together with another sinner and you're in a house and you're, you're making it work out. Marriage is one of the places where trials and suffering happen. So what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to spend two weeks. This week I'm going to speak to the wives and, you know, by the way, you might, you might feel like, oh, this is such like a man tell me how to be a wife. Um, you know, listen, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to tell you the Bible. And, and, I'll, and most of what, I, pretty much everything I've told you, I, I ran it all past Shannon. I said, what do you think of this? And she gave me a lot of feedback. So, uh, I, so I'm just, I'm giving you God's word. And I'll tell you honestly, Shannon and I have been married about, we've been married nine years. And, and we, from the beginning of our marriage, we said we want to obey the Bible in, in its commands about marriage. And we've, it, it's been just joy for us. I mean, we don't, we sin against each other. I sin against Shannon all the time. It's not, it's not per- perfection, but it's, there is joy, and we see God working, and so I just want to encourage you, open your heart to what, what God says about marriage, and, um, and, you know, I also want to say, by the way, I'm going to, I'm speaking to wives right now. I'm not, I, I'm, husbands, you get to listen in. This does not mean that this week you get to say to your wives, do you remember what Pastor Nate says? That's off limits, okay? If you do that, that's wicked, okay? So if you try to, if you try to pull the, Pastor Nate said you need to do this on your wife, uh, don't try it, okay? And, uh, and lastly, let me just say one, one more word of preface. I know that not everyone here is married. And, and I, I think the big thing that I'm going to be talking about is how the gospel shapes relationships. That's really the heart of it is how... The gospel is at the heart of, of building healthy relationships. So the, a lot of what I'm going to say actually applies to all kinds of relationships, but I'm going to be spe- specifically talking to, about the marriage relationship. So I, th- I think it applies. So first, this week, speaking to wives. And um, one of the things you'll notice about this passage is there is a, a chapter break right in the middle of it. Uh, I don't know if the three shows up in the bulletin, but there's a break. And, you know... The, sometimes chapter breaks in the Bible are a little bit deceiving because they, they give you the impression that, you know, a new thought is being started here. And, um, and if you've ever read through the book of 1 Peter, you came to chapter 3 and you said, okay, new thought. And it begins, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. 
And I know that for some of you, both guys and gals, when you hear the Bible talk in that kind of language, you know, wives respect your husbands, submit to them, or even obey your husbands is what uh, the language of this text you know, that makes your skin kind of crawl, and uh, it makes you uneasy, and you're like, Can't, I, I wish that passage wasn't in the Bible. Maybe when you've read through, you know, I'm going to skip over that. That's probably, uh, it's probably dated. And actually, for many people, when, when they've read texts like this, they say things like, you know, you know what was going on there was that was a cultural norm. This wife submitting your husbands, that's how it was in the culture. And, and in order to kind of reach that culture, they needed to accommodate uh, to, in certain ways to those cultural norms. And so that's why Peter's saying, you know, wives submit to your husbands. This really doesn't have anything to do with us today. But the problem with that is that Peter, um, is that Peter has something very different. He says something very different. And, and it's because uh, chapter 3 does not begin by saying wives be subject to your husbands. That's not how it starts. It starts with a profound and important word, likewise. You see that in there? Chapter 3, likewise. Likewise to what? And what Peter is saying is that this call for women is, is he's taught, you've got to go back in chapter 2. That's why I put chapter 2 in there. Let's just start in verse, verse 23. Again, this is what it says. When he was reviled, this is Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who ju- judges justly. He bore... He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep. But we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Then, likewise, wives. So, uh, that, for Peter, Peter does not say that what he's talking about is, hey, listen, I need you to accommodate to the culture so that people will believe in, in Christianity. That's not what he's saying. Nor is he saying... Listen, I want to, Christians want to keep women in their place, you know. Uh, why don't you just be quiet and, and, and uh, know your role. That's not what he's saying either. What he's saying is the reason he's calling wives to submit to their husbands, to be subject to them, to respect them, because in doing that, they are being like Jesus. They are being like the Almighty, the King of the universe, that in this act, this is how they get to be like the, the world power that is uh, the power over all the universe. A deep mystery there. And so what that means is that the heart um, for Peter at the heart of marriage is the gospel. The thing, you know, we live in a culture that's full of self-help books, you know, about getting the love you want and communicating and negotiating. And that's what marriage is. And a lot of those things are helpful. But... At the heart of marriage, a marriage must be shaped by the gospel. Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done for us? And how does that shape how we treat one another? And that's really at the heart of what Jesus is saying to wives, is to think about the gospel. Look at Jesus. And so um, as we look at this passage, I just want to um, say a couple things about how do you make, as a wife, the gospel shape your marriage, shape your, your uh, relationship to your husband, how you relate to your husband. And so I'm going to say two things. That first, Jesus is your example. To a wife, Jesus is your example. You need to look, look to him. You know, if, if, if you know, this, the, being humble and submitting yourself sound, you know, is offensive, you have to ask, is Jesus offensive? Because that's what Jesus did. Je- Jesus went silently to the cross. He suffered for things he didn't even do. And he put his hands into the authorities. 
um, and suffered for them so that he could redeem the world, so that new life could come. So the first thing is, is that Jesus is your example. But the second thing is that Jesus must be your first husband. Jesus must be your first husband, okay, if that's going to work. So first, Jesus is your example, wives. Now, one of the things I want to start off by saying is that for marriage in the Bible is a relationship that's really built on a promise that says, I will never leave you. That's really the heart of, you know, that, that's not just uh, what you say on your wedding day, you know, I'm, I'm never going to leave you, I'm going to be there, sickness and health. It's not just a promise, but it's actually something that in, in healthy marriages, what healthy marriages do is they find ways both verbally and non-verbally to communicate to one another on a regular basis, I'm never going to leave you, I'm always there for you. I'm, uh, and, and actually, one of the things that I think is that the commands... That, uh, that, that the Bible gives about wives, respect your husbands, submit to your husbands, and husbands, uh, love your wives, give yourself for them, serve them. Those things, those are commands, are ways that a husband and a wife communicate to one another, I will never leave you. And we hear that, and when we hear that, we feel security and we move towards one another, and we feel warmer, and we open up to one another, and we soften towards one another. And... Um, and I think uh, that that promise, I will never leave you, is actually is very close to the heart of the gospel, right? The gospel is all about Jesus going to the cross, bearing our sins, so that God can say to us, I will never leave you. Even if you're a sinner, I'm never gonna, I'll never leave you through Christ. And so in the cross, Jesus is marrying God to us. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, this, this marriage vow of saying, I will never leave you. And what that means is that if you're going to say to someone, I'm with you no matter what. What the gospel says is that that is going to, at some points, it's going to hurt. There's going to be suffering in that. There's going to be a trial in that. That's what, that's what, Je- that's what Jesus had to do. And so you see that, that here, uh, Peter says in the beginning of this passage, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So what I want to do is I want to look at two ways in which um, wives deciding that I'm going to actually, I'm going to yield to my husband. I'm going to let him lead our family. Um, is, uh, I'm going to look at two ways of, of how um, in doing that a wife is following Jesus as her example. So the first thing is, is that a wife looks to Jesus on how to win people. So uh, look, at, look at chapter, chapter 3, verse 1 begins by saying this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And um, by the way, we should point out that it, it says wives be, be subject to your own husbands. The Bible doesn't say anywhere women in general have to be, you know, obey men in general as kind of, uh, you know, the whole class of men and women, you know, have some kind of hierarchical relationship. It doesn't say anywhere. It just says if you're, if you're a wife, there's one guy that, that God has called to lead you and to lead your family. And by the way, you know, if you're, if you, that's something to think about. If you're not married, that's one of the questions you want to ask. Is this someone that I want to follow? Is this someone that I want to, uh, that I can respect, that I can, that I do want to follow? Because that's something I'm signing up for. So in a Christian marriage, that's one of the things we think about. So he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. By the conduct of their wives when they see uh, your, res- your respectful and pure conduct. Now, you see that phrase, obey the, obey the word? In First Peter, that's a way of saying whether someone's a believer. So the situation here is largely 
uh, a Christian wife who's married to a non-Christian husband. And uh, so in some ways, Peter is seeing this as kind of a missionary endeavor. You know, the, this language that he might be one without a word is the same word that Paul uses about his missionary work. He says, you know, I was a Jew to the Jew and a Gentile to the Gentiles. And uh, so that, uh, that I might win some. That's the same language. It's to, it's to show so that one of the things that, that uh, Peter is saying is that part of being a wife is showing my husband who Jesus is and what he's about. And in our culture, you know, um, Many people would look at a passage like this and say, you know what this passage does is it, it, um, it strips a woman of her power. You know, this the gentle and quiet spirit and um, being subject to their husbands, it's, it's saying, it's putting wisdom, women in their place, it's taking their voice away from them and saying that they have no power and they can't assert themselves and they're just in this kind of subservient um, role and, and therefore, they, they have no influence in the culture. They have no impact in the culture, and, and, and none of their power is being let out. And, you know, as you read a passage I, like this, you might think that. It seems that way, you know, gentle and quiet spirit and obeying the husband. But if you know anything about history, you know that history says the exact opposite happened. Um, Rodney Stark, who's a, uh, he was at UW for about 30, 32 years, um, was a professor of religion, sociology. He wrote a, a, a kind of famous book called The Rise of Christianity. I don't, I don't think he was a Christian when he wrote this. And he, uh, in The Rise of Christianity, he gives a, a number of reasons of how did this kind of obscure Jesus movement in the first century, very few Christians, it, it, it didn't connect with any of the worldviews in the, in the Greco-Roman world. How did it grow over a few centuries to take over the Roman Empire? How did that happen? And he lists a number of social factors. You know, he said the Christians went into the, into the cities and, and organized themselves in urban centers, and they were uh, engaged in the epidemics and plagues, you know, so that uh, cities, everyone would be dying, and all the doctors would flee, and the Christians would go in and, and set up kind of mini hospitals almost in their home and, and bring in the sick. But one of the biggest things that he says is the reason that Christianity went from just a marginal little sect movement to taking over the, the, the Roman Empire is the role of women. And one of, the, one of the things that he says is, is, is uh, he, he has lots of statistics about um, percentages of women in the Roman Empire um, that uh, many families, um, well, first of all, there were, there were very few women in the Roman Empire because, uh, because, you know, families would, if they were having too many girls, would kill them. And so abortion and infanticide, they would kill girl babies. This happens today. And so that there, you know, in some places like Delphi, which is in Greece, uh, they've found inscriptions that, that they've studied, and they've put together 600 families from Delphi. Only six families out of 600 had more than one daughter in the family, raised more than one daughter. So girls were just being killed. And in the Christian community, Christians, first of all, weren't killing babies, but they were, they were giving far more status to women. And they were treated way better. And, you know, men couldn't go cheat on their wives. And men actually were expected to be virgins until they married their wives. It wasn't just women who were expected to be virgins. And so a tremendous amount of women came into the Christian church. And what happened is a lot of women in, in uh, high-standing families came into the Christian church so that the Roman Empire had this over amount of men and the Christian church had this, this improportionate amount of women so there were all kinds of marriages where the, women, the woman was a Christian and the man was not. And the man would see this, what Fierce Peter is talking about, and these men would convert. And then Rodney Stark says one of the biggest things that took over the Roman Empire was secondary conversions. The wife came to know the Lord and she loved her husband. She respected him. 
She was patient with him. She was uh, gentle towards him. And he said, and it won him over. And he was changed. And that changed the Roman Empire. And actually, you know, that happens all the time today. There's where a gal becomes a Christian and she's just, she's patient with her husband. She doesn't force her faith on him. And she loves him. And, and all of a sudden the guy says, you know what? I've been a jerk. And you've just, you've stuck it out with me. You've been patient with me. You've forgiven me and you've loved me. You've served me and all these things. What is that in you? And it happens all the time. And the man becomes a Christian. And she starts bringing him to church. And it slowly starts coming. He starts hearing the gospel. And he's changed. And, um, and one of the things that that says, that if you're a wife and you say, I want, I want to see God work in my husband. I want to see my husband changed, maybe. Your temptation is to, I want to get a hold of him. And I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to tell him what to do. And, uh, and, and, and Peter is saying that will just drive him away. It will do the opposite thing that you want. And, and Peter is giving you freedom to be patient with him, to love him, to be, to, to be gentle towards him. And you know what? I'll have to tell you, how did Je- that's how Jesus says for wives to win their husbands. How did Jesus win you? What did Jesus do? Was he strong-arming you into becoming a Christian? Did he coerce you? No, Jesus says, come to me, you who are weak, weary, and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. That word for gentle that Jesus says about himself is the same word that Peter's using about about women here. If you think that that gentle, quiet spirit is demeaning to women, then you're saying that Jesus, you're offended by Jesus. And all Peter is saying is the same way that Jesus won you and won us that's the way to work in your husband's life. That's the call. So it's really, uh, it's beautiful. And so um, Jesus is, is an example to a wife in how to win your husband, how to win people. And you know what? And it turns out history tells us that it didn't, you didn't lose your voice. <laughs> Women had a huge impact in the redirecting of the globe. Of, I mean, Christianity is a global movement, and it has shaped history, and women have played a key role in it. But it's through the example of Christ. Second thing, how is, how is Jesus an example? Jesus is an example in how to deal with sin. Um, you know, I often will listen to sermons in, you know, as I'm getting ready for a series, I'll, I'll download a bunch of sermons from someone and just hear how they dealt with certain passages and stuff like that. And I, I listen to a sermon about this passage. And the pastor was talking about, um, I, I think he was trying to make submission sound appealing and so he was saying you know the main thing the main times my wife's had to submit to me is when she's been working real hard and she's pushing herself too hard and I come in I'm like darling you need to take a break and you need to go get a massage and uh and you know that's really what submission you know it's really I'm doing I'm doing uh I'm really looking out for her and then I gotta say no you gotta submit to me go get the massage right and uh, you know and, and I think you know honestly uh, submission, I, I don't, I don't want to paint a, a, this difficult picture of, of what submission is. I think it is life-giving. I think it is um, joy. And, um, and actually, you know, I, I was talking to Shannon last night uh, a little bit as I was processing what does submission look like on kind of a day-to-day basis, you know, because I, I don't think we've had one decision in our marriage. I, I, I don't think of where I was like, okay, I got to lay it down. 
you got to submit. I don't think that's happened. So I'm kind of like, how does this play out? You know, we, we talk through everything. And I, of course I want her wisdom. And I want to know uh, what she thinks. And, you know, many things about the church and things we're doing, I want her feedback. And she, and, uh, and, and she has a, a tons of wisdom. And so I, I was like, what is it? You know, there are some big things that come up. You know, when are you going to have children? Um, where are we going to move somewhere for a vocation? You know, Shannon, uh, we moved from Seattle away from our family to St. Louis to go to seminary, and that was a big move. And so part of that was her saying, okay, I'm, I'm behind you. I'm with you. So that happens. But what about on kind of more of a day-to-day basis? And this is what she said was, it's more of a heart attitude. You know, even when your husband's talking, do you feel your heart moving that you want to be one with him? You want to be in agreement with him? Or do you feel your heart being critical towards him and saying, I want to disagree, I want to challenge? And she's saying that, that, that in a more day-to-day kind of basis, it's, it's that kind of action. And I'll tell you why I think the, the, the guy talking about, you know, telling his wife to submit to go get a massage, why I, I, I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. Because he's saying, first of all, it's a call to suffer. Jesus is your example. Likewise, wives. Likewise means suffer like Jesus. I, I mean, maybe massages are uh, a suffering for some of you. But, uh, but I don't think that's a call. Um, the situation here is about how do you respect a husband? How do you um, submit to him when he's a sinner? When he doesn't deserve it? And let me tell you, you're all married to sinners, right? You're all married to that. And you're like, yeah, you don't need to tell me, all right? The, uh, the, uh, you know that. And, you know, I, I, John Steinbeck, his first novel is a, it's, it's kind of a novel. It's more of a collection of short stories. It's called uh, The Pastures of Heaven. And it's about, Pastures of Heaven is this valley in Monterey, California. And each chapter is about a different family that lives in this community. And they're called, kind of all interrelated. And in one of the chapters, he tells a story about this guy, Shark Wicks, who's a, uh, he basically has no friends in this community. But he's insistent on giving everyone the appearance that he's rich. And so he, uh, he, always, said, he always talks about money and, and investments he's making, and even though he really has no money. And he has this ledger that he keeps at the, at the community store or something, that somehow people can see the investments that he's making. And, and it, the ledger is just a joke. I mean, he's not making any of these investments, but it looks like he's just accumulating all this money. And people are always asking him for advice about, you know, what, should I invest in this? Should I do these things? He's like, and he's pretending to have all this knowledge. And in his family, he, had, uh, he also has this beautiful daughter that he's very protective of. He's very worried that she's going to get, uh, uh, she's going to lose her purity. So as the story goes on, um, the, the daughter goes to this dance that she's not supposed to go to. And, uh, you know, one of the hoodlum kids takes her outside, and they're making out out there or something. And word gets back to the dad. And, uh, and he, he thinks it went past making out. And, and so he's, his daughter has lost her purity. And, uh, and so he's just, his life is falling apart. And so he just grabs a gun. And he's going after the guy. And, and he's just thinking, he's not, I don't even know, you don't even know, he doesn't know if he's really planning to kill him, but he's, he has a gun, he's going after this guy. And a cop, you know, the whole community knows he's going after him. The cop grabs him, puts him in jail. And so it comes time for bail, and it's $10,000 bail. And everyone's like, oh, he should be able to get out fine on bail. And he, uh, he's like, I have no money. And it's this kind of public declaration that he's just a fraud, he's a joke, he's a fake. He has no friends. And he's got a temper. And there's this great scene at the end after he gets out. 
after he gets out, he's back home, and he's dejected. He feels like a failure. He's, his life is a joke. And there's this scene where they're sitting on the bed, and his wife takes his head and puts his head on her lap. And she's kind of stroking his hair. And it's, this, it's a great image. I, I can relate to that. I know that feeling of feeling dejected, unsure about the future. And put it, I put my head on Shannon's lap. And uh, as he's unsure about his life, and he's feeling lifeless, and there's this great line where uh, this is what Steinbeck says. As she sat there, the knowledge of her power had been born in her, and she knew that all of her life was directed at this one moment. In this moment, she was like a goddess, a singer of destiny. It did not surprise her when his body gradually stiffened. She continued to stroke his forehead. We'll go out of here, she chanted. We'll sell this ranch and go away from here. Then you'll get your chance you've never had. You'll see. I know what you are. I believe in you. And Steinbeck says that at that moment, Stark's eyes lost their awful life, lifelessness. The lifelessness went out of him. This great image she, of him on his lap, broken. And, uh, and I love this story because he's, she's not married to a husband who is, no, go on massages, you know, take a break. That's not the kind of husband. She's married to a guy who's a fraud, who's lazy, who's irresponsible, um, who has a quick temper, um, and is deceiving everyone in the neighborhood. And, uh, and I'll tell you that each of you are married to a husband who's a sinner, who's broken. I mean, some of you are, you know, you're ma- maybe you're married to a husband who's an addict. Maybe you're married to a husband uh, who uh, has a temper, um, who's unengaged, who works too much, uh, maybe uh, depressed, lazy. Um, you, you're married to husbands who are struggling with sin. And the question is, how do I have respect in the middle of that? How do I submit to a husband um, in the middle of that? And I think what Stark's wife said When she said to him, this is who you are. I know what you are. I believe in you. Um, That's very similar to what the calling of a wife. When you, you know, if if you're in a marriage, the only way to respect someone is to begin to say, where is God at work in their life? Where are the things that I can respect? And um, the... uh, And what that means is is that especially if your husband... uh, if your husband's a believer, that means he has the Holy Spirit. That means that uh, God is working somewhere in his life. That means that God has declared him righteous and the Spirit is at work in him and you've got to find those things and when you see them, you've got to name them. You know, you're, I see you playing with the kids and being, uh, being a good father. Um, I see you trying to make more time for the family. I see you doing well at your work. Looking for those things that they're excelling at and encouraging them in those things. And what you're doing is you're saying, this is who you are in Jesus. I see who you are in Christ. And what you do is when you see that, you're preaching the gospel to them. And you're growing their faith and you're growing the work of God in them. And, and, and it takes the, uh, the, the eyes of faith to see where God is at work. And, um, and I'll just tell you that that's exactly what Jesus does for you. Jesus does not deal with you according to your sin. He overlooks tons of sins and regards you as beautiful, as a delight to him, and he cherishes you, and gives you, gives you the love that you don't deserve. And that's what the call here is. It's not just to respect husbands when they're perfect, but also to respect them. That's when they need it probably most, is when they're not being a good husband. And I'll tell you, you know, it's also true, it's interesting, if, if, if your husband's not a, a Christian, First uh, Corinthians has an interesting passage where it says that your, your husband is made holy by you. 
He's made holy simply by you. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into what that means, but uh, by you. But that means that God's at work in his life. You know, I have a, a Shannon. I have a close friend who uh, she's a, a Christian and uh, she's married to a guy who's not a, a Christian. And she was sharing uh, with us. They. Um, They'd kind of they'd had a long weekend and and they were having a conflict and it finally came out where she just said you know I think the reason we're having disagreement is because we have a different foundation about how to make decisions. And he said, you know, what are you saying? You know, uh, okay. And, and and basically it comes out. He says, see, you believe in something that wants to separate us. You believe in something that um, I'm going to go to hell. You're going to go to heaven. We're going to be separated forever. That's what you believe in. And it's separating us. And what she found out is that um, they, they spent some time apart and they came back together. And what he told her was he says, you know, I mean, it's hard for me that I'm not the husband that I think you need. You need, a, I guess, a, a husband who loves God. And I don't know anything about that. And she said, I had no idea what a failure I was making him feel like when I was challenging him with my faith, when I was uh, uh, driving it down his throat and challenging him, what are you going to believe? And moving out of the gentle and quiet spirit. And, uh, and what he said is when, when she's loving him and uh, he just, he wants to be near her, he wants to ask her questions, he wants to learn about God, and that draws, draws him near. It speaks way louder. It's a much louder voice. And what's interesting, I think, about this passage um, is the illustration that Jesus uses here. Um, look, at, look at verse 5 again. For this is how the holy women... Um, the holy women who hoped in God is sorry, I have a typo in my notes. Um, how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Shannon's called me Lord uh, how many times? A dozen? No, <laughs> she never called me Lord. Okay, uh, we haven't got to that verse yet. Uh, <laughs> Um, and so, uh, but he uses this illustration, oh, and then it says, and, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And what's interesting about this illustration is that Peter uses Sarah and, uh, as an illustration of, of uh, obeying a husband and submitting to a husband. And if you go back to Genesis, and it's hard to identify who, where, what story is Peter talking about where, uh, where um, Sarah is submitting to him. Actually, the, the only verse where she calls him Lord, I think she's basically laughing at him because he's telling her the, the promises of God. And actually, if you look through it, there's kind of a mixture. There's, there's three cases of where Sarah actually obeyed Abraham and followed him. The first is when Abraham leaves his homeland and goes to the promised land. And it's this great act of faith. And he's taking a huge risk. And she says, I'm with you. We're going. And they go and they find all kinds of blessing and, and God blesses them in the promised land. And it's this great heroic kind of move. But the other two places are when Abraham's in these other lands. I, some, if you know Genesis, you know these stories where Abraham goes into Egypt and he goes to Abimelech, uh, Gerar, I think is where it is. And, uh, and he says, listen, they're, they're going to, you know, you're really beautiful and uh, it's going to be kind of awkward going in there. Why don't you just pretend to be my sister? And, uh, and then basically she goes in and the Pharaoh almost sleeps with her and it's this disaster of an idea. And so there's, Sarah is this mixture of following Abraham both as this guy who's going out of limb in faith, this heroic move, and a guy who's blundering and following and, and making bad decisions. And in all of it, she says, I'm with you. And that's what's, that's, that's what's interesting about this text is the complexity of, of being a wife. 
is it's not just all roses. And that's what, uh, and that's what I think Peter is saying is that there is suffering in it. And, you know, I, I, should, I should make a, a comment. Um, some of you might be wondering, okay, what if, what if a gal's being abused? What if a guy's beating her up? Do you think she should just sit there and kind of take it? And uh, Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, that, that's an extraordinary circumstance. Even in the Greco-Roman culture surrounding Peter, that was illegal to beat up your wife. So early Christians would not have tolerated that for a second. So that's nothing about, we're talking about a a normal marriage where two people are sinning against each other and hurting each other regularly. And the call is to move towards one another and and to yield to one another. So um, and let me, uh, I've got, I've got a few more things to say. Sorry. Um, Our culture also says that, that if a wife does this, you know, is going to yield to her husband. She's going to be basically bottling up all these passions. And when she's trying to be compliant, the good wife, I'm going to do whatever you say. Uh, there's basically all these passions that are inside of her to get out and to be herself. And she's trying to bottle them up. And they're actually, they're, ju- they're either just going to explode or they're going to kill her. And um, what you have to see is that's nothing what Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about the hidden life of the heart. You see how he says that there in... Uh, in a, um, um, but let your adorning being with the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Peter doesn't see a woman suppressing all these passions or, or even bitterness. You know, that women, I'm going to be compliant my whole life, but what's brewing inside is a bitterness towards my husband that I have to do that. There's a, there's a contentment, a joy that's coming out of this. And so that's at the heart of it is you can't just put on a face of I'm going to do what my husband says, I'm going to be obedient. Uh, what, what Peter's describing is there is a fearlessness inside of a woman. That's what he says at the end, that you do not fear anything that might be frightening. There is a courage, there's a fortitude, there's a, an abundance, an overflowing of life that this is coming out of. It is a vigor, it's a life of Jesus coming alive in a woman that has the power to humble and to humble herself. And so that leads to our second point, which I won't spend as much time on, um, but that it's not just that Jesus is a, is a, is a wife's example, but that a, Jesus must be her first husband. Jesus must be her first husband. Um, you know, uh, the, there is this kind of direction that Peter puts on, on a wife towards her husband. Um, she, her kind of life is kind of directed in some ways towards him. And the reason for that is, is in the Bible... The Bible's explanation in terms of, of men and women, the relationships of men and women, in, the, in Genesis, Genesis begins with uh, God making a man, and he has a task. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's in the garden, he's to work the garden, to till the garden, he's to name the animals. And then God has this line where he says, it was not good for man to be alone. That there's this absence of relationship that is happening uh, in humanity. And so when God creates a woman, it was to meet this need that there's an absence of relationship. And so in a biblical understanding of men and women is that for a woman, her dominant, um, her first instinct is towards relationship. You know, for a man, his first instinct is towards, uh, you know, vocation often, uh, towards making an impact. This doesn't mean that women don't care about that. I know women care about that. I know women care about getting out and making an impact, doing something with their life. But the first instinct, the kind of core uh, place, is towards, a, is towards a relationship, towards attachment, towards security. 
And so that's why, in some ways, this, this is talking about wives. The first place is towards building relationships and, and creating relationships. That's, that's what a wife does. And so um, what happens is that in a marriage, when a husband is sinning, it unsettles that security of the relationship. You know, when a husband's working too much uh, or he's unengaged, he's kind of in his own world or he's very moody and he comes home and he's, you know, some days he's happy and engaged, some days he's, he's harsh. And uh, what that unsettles for a wife is the security of the relationship. And the temptation will be, I don't want to break the security. And fear comes up, and I'm going to grab him. I'm going to grab control. I'm going to make sure he's home at certain times. And, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, uh, and there's a whole disposition towards control. And uh, the, way, the way to prevent that, the way to have the fearlessness, to have the contentment, the overflow that you can really, the, to take that risk, is that your husband can't be your first husband. Jesus must be your first husband. He must be the ultimate place of contentment and security and, and, and the one that says that you are precious and beautiful. And you even see that in this passage where um, it says in verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the, or the, uh, the clothing you wear. Let me just let me make a quick comment about that. Uh, this isn't talking about, you know, don't, don't braid your hair. What you have here is a woman who's a Christian and her husband's not a Christian. And so she's leaving the house. She's going out to go to church without him. And the whole kind of neighborhood's watching. There goes his wife. And if she's getting all dolled up going to church, there's gonna be, that's going to uh, look bad on the husband. And so he's saying, listen, the community's going to think that you're going out and, and uh, you know, being promiscuous. And, and she is saying, listen, you're going out to meet with God. Just make it clear that you, the reason you're going out is to meet with God. Listen, if you want to look nice, God loves beauty. Look, you know, look at Song of Songs. Look at other places in the Bible. God thinks beauty is a good thing. So this doesn't say you have to wear a, you know, a potato sack or anything like that. Okay. Um, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imper- imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight, is very precious. And what has to happen is that, that the regular habit of, you know, I'm not a woman. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm uneasy speaking to you, uh, but I'm trying to give you God's word, is, is that to look to God as the one who says you're precious, who's beautiful. Jesus said, I would die for you. I would never, I will be with you always. I, I'll never let you go. I'll, I'm listening to every word you say to me carefully. And, and that has to that coin needs to drop in your heart. That at the end of the day, Jesus thinks I'm beautiful. Jesus thinks I'm precious. Jesus will never let me go. Jesus has, has done everything for me. And when that contentment sets in, then you, have, you can do the, the risk of yielding to a husband and in the, in the vulnerability of, of, of submitting and, and following his leadership and respecting him. And what happens is your marriage comes together. He, he draws near to you. And the thing that you're longing for of, 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 of relationship, of closeness, he begins to come. And in the middle of it, though, you have to be willing to suffer. You have to be willing for a trial that you will get sinned against. I'm not painting a, a rosy picture of marriage. I'm giving you the gospel. And the only way you can do this is in Jesus. So trust him, rest in him, and know that his love is never ending. It's overflowing. And despite your sin, he, will just, he, he is with you always. And in doing that, that's, how you, that's, that's a gospel woman. So let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for how challenging 
your word is. And uh, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would um, apply this text to the individual marriages uh, uh, in this room. And I do pray um, also that uh, for us men, uh, as you give such a calling to wives um, to yield to us, to, to uh, submit, to respect us, that you would make us men worthy um, of, of that respect, that you would work in us and on both sides that you would draw us near to the gospel and that you would make this a church full of gospel marriages. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.